Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, when you hear about personal insolvency, more often than not, it's some multi-million write-off that you've read about in the papers. But what about the everyday working business people who can't, unfortunately, pay off their debts? How does the whole insolvency issue get resolved and what are the usual outcomes? Delighted to be joined uh, today by three guests who are going to help me shed some light on this whole process. Alan O'Kennedy of Mitchell O'Brien office uh, is in Dungarvan and he's part of IRS Ireland. Eugene McDarby, UHY Personal and Corporate Insolvency Solutions Limited. And Tara Cheevers is the Managing Director and Owner of ACO Financial and Business Solutions. You're all very welcome to the programme um, Eugene, you might help me to start here. As I said there in, in the introduction, we talk about, uh, you know, high profile cases, but I want to get behind the business of how the uh, personal insolvency, you like where and how is it making a difference and is it actually getting to the people who need it? So we might start by uh, giving us a def- definition, if you would, of personal insolvency. Well, I mean, I mean, let's just look at what the the core question that you asked me there, which is, who who comes to our offices? Who wants to deal with us? And by and large, I would say that the majority of cases are the normal, ordinary people out in the streets. Okay, um, and I'll, I'll just caveat that by saying, if you even look at the recent central bank figures, there's about fifty thousand people in mortgage arrears in Ireland. Okay, and out of that, about 35,000 are in arrears over 90 days. Okay. Okay. So and that's a grim statistic. Yeah, and that and that's after effectively 12 to 14 years of those people being through the banking system through renegotiation etc etc etc. At one stage uh, Bobby was up as far as 120,000 people yeah. in mortgage arrears. So there's the caveat or there's the the, the reasons why they come why, come to us and why do they come to us because they've had a catalyst in their financial circumstances what I mean by that is is they've had a separation or divorce they've had yeah. loss of income through a job or illness or a loss of a company um, and and just the fact that 35,000 people can remain in a process whatever that process is which I assume means that they stay in their home but it's it's a it's a lot of unresolved business it for is. a lot of people. It is, and 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 the one of the other big reasons is that, you know, they may have a mortgage with a bank, you know, um, and the banks don't really have a strong system in dealing with long term mortgage arrears. They're okay to deal with if you have a blip, yeah. But if you have long term mortgage arrears, they don't really have a system. And if you throw in on top of that, that there might be multiple creditors chasing the money. Let's call it. <laughs> And now you have a whole plethora of people dealing with multiple creditors who they just can't. Okay. Who, so that's why the All right. comes in. Okay, stay with us. Uh, let's bring in our, our second guest, Tara Cheevers, Managing Director and Owner of ACO Financial Business Solutions. Could you tell us, Tara, under what circumstances someone can actually apply for personal insolvency? What, what makes it okay for me to go down that route or okay for, or not okay uh, for somebody else to go down that route? Uh, well, firstly, there's two uh, types of arrangements that individuals in debt can avail of. Well, there's three, actually. One is dealt with by um, MAB's offices, the DRN, 
and it's where your debts, uh, you only have unsecured debts below 35,000. Okay. And the MAVs offices can assist with uh, resolving those debt issues. So they wouldn't be, typically they wouldn't be mortgage holders that... No, uh, that, that no they would have no, they would have no assets whatsoever other than maybe a, a car for getting them to work or whatever. Okay. So they'd be very low income families as well. Um, the other arrangements that are there is the debt settlement arrangement, which is a five-year uh, payment plan. And again, it's for unsecured debts. So that would be suitable for people who have a mortgage, are able to sustain the mortgage, but cannot pay off their other debts. I'm sorry to be overly simplistic here, but will you define for us the difference between secured and unsecured. I know what it is, but I yeah. just, okay. again, I'd like to hear it so from you. So the secured debt is a debt that's secured on an asset. So that could be your family home. Um, it it could be that you have some investment properties. So the debt is secured on the investment properties. So if there's some sort of asset attached to that okay. debt. Okay. And unsecured then would be an ESB bill or a build-up of utility yeah, bills. Credit cards, credit cards. Credit union loans. Okay. Um, your normal bank loans, all that sort of and unsecured debt. then there's different rules then for secured versus unsecured. Yes, that's right. Okay. So the, the debt settlement arrangement will deal with the unsecured debts. But if you have a mix of both secured and unsecured debts, then you would be looking at the personal insolvency arrangement, which is the PIA. Um, the main aim of the PIA is to obviously keep a, a family in the family home. So it will focus on restructuring the family home mortgage debt, but will also deal with all other debts at the same time. So you're dealing with everything all in the one arrangement. And I'm right in saying that the state allows one to enter this process only once. Yes. Is that it's, right? It's a once in a lifetime yeah. um, debt forgiveness or debt restructure plan. And um, it, to do the personal insolvency arrangement to be eligible, you um, you ha do have to be in mortgage arrears and your debts, you have to be insolvent, basically. So there's two forms of insolvency. You can be cash flow insolvent, where you don't have sufficient income to cover all of your day-to-day -day outgoings, loan repayments, etc. And then you have what you call book insolvency, where your assets are less than the value of the debts. Yeah. So you're in negative equity with your debt. Okay, with your uh, and I don't want to get too technical yeah. here, but I still I do want to get yeah. into the weeds as well. Uh, let's bring in our third guest, uh, Alan O'Kennedy. He's from Mitchell O'Brien uh, down there in, in Dungarvan. Alan, being insolvent is not a choice. It's a statement of fact. So tell me the reasons why somebody wouldn't go down this route if they found themselves to be insolvent. Well, you're right. I mean, I hear the term coined a lot. Uh, I'm going to go down the insolvency route. You either are or you're not. If you can't meet your, your debts as they fall due, you, you are insolvent. Uh, why somebody wouldn't go down to, to, to come back out of um, insolvency? That's a good question. I think there, since 2012, there's legislation providing for these solutions that Tara just mentioned, a debt relief notes, a debt settlement arrangement, a personal insolvency arrangement. And we do have options to bring somebody back to solvency, as well as bringing back to economic activity in the country. Where does uh, personal insolvency stand beside bankruptcy? If, if again, to use another term. Well, we, in our proposals, we actually have a bankruptcy comparison. And we look at our bankruptcy and we look at the personal insolvency arrangement and we see, well, which one is better. 
Okay, so it's a it's it's a, it's another route. It's it's if you weren't going down the personal insolvency route. Well, a bankruptcy. It, sorry to interrupt you. Not at all. Is clearing all your assets to clear all your liabilities. It leaves you more, most importantly without the family home, and most in most occasions. Sometimes bankruptcy is an option, but nine times out of ten, you're clearing all your assets to get rid of all your liabilities. Right. However, the name of the game here for me is keep you in the family home, and a personal insolvency is gauged to do that. Okay. We'll come back to Eugene here. Eugene, just to to go back to those 35,000 mortgage holders that are over 90 days in arrears, as, as, you, as you use by way of a very good example, what needs to be done to sort that out? In other words, how could, you know, in and it's, it's obviously not going to be an ideal scenario for anybody, but for that to go unresolved for so long, what needs to be done to crystallise the loss or to basically draw a line under it and, and let those people move on with their lives? Yeah, well, I think over the last probably four to five years, the banks and the government have kind of recognised the fact that they need to deal with this. And what they've done is uh, the Department of Justice, Department of Social Protection, have set up a, a scheme called the Walia. Um, <coughs> Explain that to us if you would. Okay, well, the Walia, the Irish for home. So the, the plan really is that... Um, you know, debtors who are insolvent don't have funds for fees, yeah. typically don't have funds for fees. So, you know, it was a barrier to entry to the PIP world or to speak to a PIP and get the best advice. So what the government did is they provided a voucher scheme through, which is the gateway is MAB. So MAB's assess and MAB's would then refer to uh, the PIP community and say, look, you, uh, you know, Mary and John, you live in X part of the country, so you should go to this PIP or whatever. Uh, there's a number of pips there and they're entitled to 500 euro each okay so basically the government are saying here here's 500 euro go off and see Eugene he's a pip and at least he'll tell you what you can do and the 500 will cover the first bit of it anyway correct it, it, yeah. it, it will cover covers a lot to be fair okay and you know on top of that then I think what the banking system has done is they've kind of recognised that look we've got all these people in arrears who we don't ha- really have a system to deal with and They've sold the debt. So they've sold it to, you know, the various vulture funds or, or servicers. Or, or, or that. And that's another thing we hear an awful lot about. You know, yeah. somebody has a particular mortgage with a particular party and even if they're in difficulty, they can live with it. But as soon as that debt gets sold, they end up dealing with a different animal. Correct. And and maybe multiple over years, it's, it's yeah. gone from one... And there's nothing they can do about that. No. That's... No, there's very little they can do. I mean, at, 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 based on the central banks, that's just pre-Christmas, 67% of all mortgages that are, are in arrears over one year are with a non-bank entity. So that's massive. Two-thirds of all the, the arrears cases over one year are with non-bank entities. Wow, yeah. yeah. So, so now we, myself, Tara, uh, Mitchell or whoever, now we're effectively mostly dealing with the Starts, the Mars Capitals, the Peppers, in, in, by and large, you know, most of our cases. And they actually have a different, let, let's call it, attitude to dealing with people in arrears. They effectively want to work with pips. They want to do deals. Yeah. Um, and it's much easier for us to do deals than it was previously with the actual banking entities because they, yeah. were, they were basically, you know, uh, reasonably aggressive, albeit they would work with us to a certain degree. Tara, I'm told that quite a lot of people have gone through the training and 
qualifications associated around being a personal insolvency practitioner, a PIP, uh, as Eugene alluded to there. But the the amount of personal insolvency practitioners actually in practice, you know, on a scale basis out there is quite few. Is that, what's that telling you? Is that telling you either that there's an oversupply of qualified people or there isn't enough people coming through the system to avail of a of, of, of a solution around PIP? Uh, no, the reason behind that is because um, there's a huge volume of work involved in personal insolvency and um, for many practices, particularly for individuals setting out on their own business as a personal insolvency practitioner, um, it's very daunting. Uh, there's a, a long lead in before you see any income generated from the business um, with a huge amount of work if you have um, a subsidiary business like with me, I have the accountancy practice on one side and personal insolvency on the other. One can carry the other okay. through. So um, I think a lot of practitioners who, a lot of individuals who would have signed up initially to do personal insolvency had no idea of the level of work involved. And, um, you know, over time, they decided not to renew the licence other um, people came along and did the courses and trained and maybe didn't even bother going for a licence because once they did the course and the training, they realised this is not for me. Maybe there's too much involved in it or I don't have the time or resources. You do need, there, there is a lot of resources that you need behind you to be able to actually run successfully as a PIP practice. Okay. Um, Alan, if I could come back to you, could, could you, could you help me with the definition between uh, debt management and personal insolvency. As I understand it, debt management might be just one debt out of a series of debts that you might go to negotiate with a bank on uh, or a lending institution, whereas personal insolvency includes everything. Is that a, a, a fair definition? Or I think that is fair. I mean, simply put, debt management is dealing with debts informally. It doesn't resolve all the whole issues uh, holistically. Oftentimes you might see debt management dealing with four out of the five debts. However, that's not going to bring you back to solvency. A personal insolvency is adhered to. The aim of the game is to bring you back to solvency. Yeah. And that incorporates all your debts, uh, as opposed to cherry-picking some of the ones that you can deal with. Uh, so you know, we often see, uh, unfortunately, we see a lot of debt people coming in through the door who have dealt with debt management, and they say, yes, well, we had an arrangement with X, Y, and Z. However, we can't get this one. So can we do something like that? So I suppose before your listeners, I suppose, were going down into doing debt management, I think it would be a good idea to, to speak to somebody in the industry of a personal insolvency range to see if, if the PIA or DS is, yeah. is a better fit for P- Particularly if you only get one crack at it, you know, well, that you want to be sure that you get it right and that you actually end up resolving the scenario. Well, you can do debt management over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, until the cows come home, but you still might not get you back to solvency, whereas a PIA... Is the is what you're saying is the one crack with yeah. And as you said, as Tara was talking about, John, there's a lot of people on that register, and there's only a few numbers that do most of the work that's actually in the country. I think there's been, oh, I don't know, is there nine thousand cases or, or sorry, arrangements being done since the 2012-2013. I'd say there's a handful of pips that have done most of those. Yeah, but again, they're the people who are going to get the work because they're the people who know what's going on because they're. They're living and breeding it every day. Can I can I come back to you, Eugene? You mentioned earlier there about the link between insolvency and debt resolution with 
either the family courts, either with a redundancy scenario, a divorce. And when you get acrimony, I suppose, in a family scenario where just to say there's two incomes paying a mortgage, the relationship breaks down. One person says, well, to hell with him or her. He can pick that up and then he or she isn't able to and they end up in in your office saying, will you help me sort this out? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's only over the last probably year or so I've actually done a number of lec- lectures now for the family law solicitors um, because there's a massive link between family uh, law and insolvency because the day somebody walks out the door uh, in a separation or divorce case is the day they're financially in difficulty unless they're you know they've, they've yeah. big earnings because you've you've two earnings typically paying all the bills and now you've got <coughs> one uh, um, in a lot of cases and one of the reasons why uh, practitioners personal sovereignty practitioners are brought into the equation is actually to look at the maths you know so at least the solicitors acting on, on both sides of the of the of the fence can say well look look will you look at the overall maths and see is there a solution here for Mary and the kids to stay in the family home while Johnny, you know, he's going to have to rent an apartment or whatever yeah. and we can split it all But, but having said that, if the, if the relationship is sour and toxic, Very difficult, that can yeah. find its way into, you know, people not seeing reason, people not seeing or not being able to see the wood from the trees. And, <clears> and oftentimes it becomes sour over the financials, typically. Yeah. And it's only when, you know, I've been in situations where they are have been soured and it's actually only when you work out the financials and say, look, Mary, you're not going to lose the family home because, you know, we can restructure and we can do this and we can do that. Then it actually starts to calm down a little yeah. bit. And that's why, um, you know, in, in a lot of cases now, solicitors would be ringing me, family law solicitors would be ringing me or Tara or whatever, and saying to us, look, will you look at the mats and come back to us with your, your okay. recommendations in doing a deal here so we can keep the family home? Tara, last word to you. We, we have a funny relationship with debt in this country. We have <clears throat> the whole moral hazard argument where I'm doing my best to pay my mortgage and I'm barely paying it every month and I'm looking at the fellow next door who's got a big write-off. How Do you come across that as a as a barrier to doing business or a barrier to finding solutions in the course of your work? Absolutely not. I have to say that in all the time I've been doing this since the very start, it was one of the first pips on the register. I've been doing it a long time and in all that time I think I've only ever come across two individuals who came to my office who were just looking for a write-off. Yeah. Everyone else are genuine people who bought their houses in good faith, were on reasonable incomes, could afford the mortgages at the time, bought them probably at a very high value because it was just the economic boom. Prices of houses were very high. and They were unfortunate in their circumstances and they found themselves then when the crash came, their value of the houses went to rock bottom. One of the income in the household dropped or they had severe cuts in salary. So they just couldn't afford it. So okay. really, it's it's not a case of people are just going out there to get debt right out. These are genuine cases of people who have really struggled and are trying to rehabilitate themselves and get back to a normal living and get on top of all of their debts. OK, well, look, at, we could talk about this all day. I'm sorry we're out of time, but it's it's a fascinating subject. I'd like to thank my guests and experts on this discussion today, Alan O'Kennedy of Mitchell O'Brien office there in Dungarvan, Eugene McDarby of UHY Personal and Corporate Insolvency Solutions, and Tara Cheevers, 
Managing Director and Owner at ACO Financial and Business Solutions. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank Great. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.